Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. It was an axiom of patristic biblical interpretation that to understand scripture should be a struggle, like Jacob and the angel. And I always said this whole sermon thing shouldn't be too easy. So thank you, VTS lectionary, for making me practice what I preach. I'm so very grateful. Let's look at that Corinthians passage. Because scripture is sacred text, we can't help but look to it, desperate to have it validate the choices that we have made, only to feel let down or condemned when it doesn't sound, well, like the words of a 21st century American. My mother, who has been divorced three times, winces every time Christ's words on divorce are read out. While I understand this very well, it is also true that historically easy divorce, particularly in the pre-modern and pre-industrial world, has usually benefited men and not women. I suspect that many of you feel the same as my mother about that Corinthians passage today. If you feel that way, I'm afraid I cannot make the wince go away with a wave of my sparkly magic exegesis wand. What I am is a historian, and what I can try to give you is some context and hope that that helps at least a little. Historians are fond of saying that the past is a different country. They do things differently there. Some of you may have seen the recent, the recent Rachel Held Evans tweet about Nike. The early church would be dumbfounded to learn that Christians were upset about someone not pledging allegiance to the empire. If we cannot learn to love passages like the one from Corinthians today, I hope we can learn to sit with them, lean into the difficulty, wrestle with them, and understand them on their own terms. This passage is one of several in the epistle in which you might say Paul throws the book at the Corinthians. The text itself seems a little bit garbled, either because of how the text itself was copied or because Paul, as he frequently does, gets carried away by his own rhetoric. He begins with several probing rhetorical questions about lawsuits, governance, and proper Christian dispute settlement. And then he launches into a comprehensive catalog of behaviors that he believes ought not to be tolerated within a truly Christian community. And that is the nub of the matter in this epistle. So you've been baptized. Now what? And so what? What is Christian community? We might say now, what is Christian identity? That is what is being hashed out here. Corinth had been the economic hub of its region. The Corinthians were rich, diverse, and of course Greek, which, like the French, meant that they had the reputation of being culturally arrogant, as well as party animals. Paul's problem throughout this passage and elsewhere is that the Corinthians who had become Christian were not allowing that fact to distinguish them from their broader society or culture in any discernible way. And to Paul's Jewish mind, that broader Greek culture had some issues. Speaking of lawsuits, without any sort of forensic procedures, court cases were won and lost primarily on the basis of whose lawyer could persuade the crowd with neat rhetorical tricks. Women were not allowed to testify in court at all. And incidentally, women don't really show up at all in this passage, which should tell you something right there about Paul's target audience, at least in our passage today. Most pointedly, we should remember with regard to all of the sexual behaviors listed here. 
This is a society which had institutionalized slavery, in which human bodies, adults and children, male and female, were available, disposable, expendable, and in which the marriage age for women was about 14. There was little to no poor relief of any kind. Prostitution was the regular last resort of the desperate. It was unregulated, it was everywhere. At the same time, there were no real restrictions of any kind placed upon male sexuality in the classical world. It was a society in which male power wrote the rules. Until Paul. We love to hate on Paul. And it's easy to forget that Paul is the first person, if you will, to take on Roman toxic masculinity. A historian of the Roman world, Kyle Harper, has pointed out to what extent Paul in passages like these is effectively making up words. He is coining, virtually inventing terms for immorality, where it's actually not entirely clear to us what he meant, because no one had really attempted to condemn it before, and because no one had invented a blanket term for those kinds of behaviors. Our lesson for today in Spanish is itself translating directly out of English into Spanish without any real sense of context or original Greek. Going out on a limb here, I don't think Paul is terribly focused on any particular one of the offenses in this list. And I don't think we should be either, and I don't think we should take it too personally. Paul is just as critical of adultery or lawsuits or theft or substance abuse as he is of certain kinds of homosexual practices. What is clear is Paul's insistence that if the Corinthians, and specifically Corinthian men, were going to be serious about this thing called Christianity, and not use their Christian liberty as a moral and sexual blank check, there had to be things they did differently from the world outside. And whether you like it or not, Paul won his point. The thing that distinguishes the early Christian community from the rest of the Greek and Roman world right from the get-go is their attitude toward human sexuality and their attempt to create a space within a highly hierarchical and patriarchal world for women. To us in the 21st century, it does not sound like that. And it was itself, as time went on, an effort within the church that was flawed and imperfect and in need of God's redeeming grace. So are we all. As we remember September 11th today in our prayers, let us remember both the heroes and the victims, those in detention, those who are refugees, those who are immigrants, those who are veterans, and all those bearing the scars of war, and all those whose lives have been shaped by September 11th, 2001.